with us and say, look at what they've accomplished. We toss it, we toss it at your feet this morning, Lord. And we say, there's nothing about us that's worthy of worship. But everything about you is worthy of worship. So just receive our worship this morning. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Woo! Man, praise the Lord. Ready to preach this morning. We're going to start a new series. We were going to start one anyway, but I'm still ready to preach this morning. And we're going to talk about something that I think is often neglected in our walk with the Lord, and that is understanding uh, the victory that has been secured for us and how important it is for us to walk in that. And so we're just going to take it day by day and week by week, sermon by sermon, and we're going to build this understanding of the victory that Jesus has secured for God the Father and on our behalf, and then understanding what it's like for us to fight from that victory. Not fight for that victory, because Christ has secured that victory. But fight from that victory, so that when we face battles day in and day out, we are able to gain the victory through Christ. You know, we have to ask ourselves hard questions. Church, uh, leaders, individual believers, staff members, elders, deacons, individual followers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves a hard question. Christ's victory is so profound, why is there so much defeat in our life? Why do we see anxiety? Why do we see depression? Why do we see our divorce rate as high as the world's divorce rate is, even within the church? Why do we see so many broken relationships in our families? We talked about the ways of Jesus and how important that is, and we, we know that not everyone follows the ways of Jesus, but we're called in the church, we're called to follow the ways of Jesus. And what worries me is I think some of the defeat that we see around us is because we just don't understand victory. And if we understand it, we just don't walk in it. And so we're going to take a very focused, guided couple weeks and talk about nothing but Jesus' victory and what's expected of us as we fight from that victory. So I want to just start by laying a foundation today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That's where uh, we'll jump off this morning. Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a community of faith in a city called Colossae. Uh, Paul had never been to this city. Uh, Paul found out about this city because a man who was a native to Colossae, a man named Epaphras, uh, was traveling and doing business, we believe, in Ephesus, which was just a few miles away and was a major central business hub in this day. And it appears that Epaphras came to faith while Paul was on his third missionary journey. He stayed in Ephesus for two and a half years, and he not only preached the gospel, but it talks about him day after day, spending every single day discipling new believers in that city. There was this powerful move of the Holy Spirit in that city, and many came to faith. And it appears that this man, Epaphras, came to faith as well. And like every believer should do, and like we're all called to do, Epaphras took what God had revealed to him in Ephesus about Jesus' love. He took that good news, he took it back to his city, to his own people, and God began an amazing work in revival in Colossae too. And so Paul, who had never been to this city, is now writing a letter to these brand new believers because he's heard from Epaphras what God is doing, and he wants to encourage this new movement of God that he hasn't even laid eyes on yet. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? 
So I want you to understand who Paul's writing to today. He's writing to these young believers. He's trying to encourage this disciple who's been so faithful. And at the end of this letter, Paul says, listen, I'm coming as soon as I can. I, I can't wait to come and visit you. But listen to what he says about the victory of Jesus and how it applies and affects the day-in, day-out life of every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, but right here in 2021 and way back in the city of Colossae. Listen to what he says here as soon as I turn there. Sorry about that. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians. Okay, there we are. Did y'all learn GE Power Company when you were a kid? Remember that? Go eat popcorn, something like that. Okay, just to make sure I wasn't the only one. Colossians chapter 2, down to verse 13. I want you to listen to what Paul says. Praise God, the Holy Spirit pulled back the curtain for Paul and helped him see things in the spiritual realm that we would have never understood with our physical eyes if he had not revealed it through Paul. Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He gave, forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that such a, a visual, a beautiful visual picture of our salvation? We're dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. We were uh, out uh, to oppose the work of the Lord. And what does God do by his mercy? By the Holy Spirit of God, he regenerates our heart. He creates faith in our heart gives us a chance to respond to him. And as he does that, Jesus took all of our sins. He took all of the weight of the law, trying to fulfill the expectations of God in our own power. He took all of that and he nailed it to the cross. And how did he do that? With his own body. He nailed our sins to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we have to understand what he's talking about here. He's helping us understand that there is more to what's going on around us than what you're seeing with your physical eyes. With my physical eyes, I see burgundy pews, and I see Catherine, and I see, I see Ray, and I can look out that window, I can see a green bush, and I can see a cloudy day, and maybe some raindrops before it's all over. I can see and I can sense things with my physical eyes, but I want to say something to you. What is happening in the physical realm is not all that is surrounding us. There is also a spiritual realm that my physical eyes cannot see. And within that spiritual realm exists God himself in all his trinity glory at all times and in all places. And he is seated on his throne, which we'll look at later. And there's also all of these spiritual beings. There are these spiritual powers and authorities and dominions and rulers, which I don't understand, but Scripture says is true. They are there. And for whatever reason, for some time period, and for some reason according to his will, he has allowed them to have some kind of influence beyond his will for periods of time. And that is why we're experiencing in this physical world these very dark things like brokenness and disunity unity and divorce and pornography because these spiritual forces of evil along with our own sinful choices are affecting the physical world through this spiritual realm. But praise God, 
There are wonderful things that are happening out of that spiritual realm into this physical world. For instance, what just happened in this room? That didn't happen because Heather was on the keyboard or William is awesome. That happened because the Holy Spirit of God came from a spiritual realm and he affected a physical realm in this room. He led us into worship. He revealed himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in a fresh and a new way. And so the spiritual impacted the physical And our goal is to be people through whom the Spirit can impact this physical realm by His power, right? Walking the ways of Jesus, that's the goal. And what he says here, Paul tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, get this, even though those spiritual forces of evil are there in that spiritual realm, look at what happened here. It says He disarmed the powers and authorities, and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, which means at the death of Jesus and his resurrection, he took all of the power that those authorities had, and he took it for himself. He took it for himself. That sounds like victory to me. I mean, does that sound like, if you can go into a battle and you can completely disarm your enemy, that's what I would call victory. But it wasn't just that. It says he made a public spectacle of them. He talked trash. He spiked the ball in the end zone. He went on Instagram and he posted about it. I mean, he absolutely embarrassed them at the cross. Now think about this. This is the only God can do this. In the physical realm, you see a man broken and beaten and naked and bloody, dying on a piece of wood with nails through his hands, and thorns on his head. That's what you see in the physical world. And in the spiritual world, it's the greatest victory that's ever been achieved. So I ask you, when you look at your physical circumstances, I doubt they'll ever look worse than what Jesus was facing that day physically. But the worst physical circumstances was the greatest spiritual victory. So how do you know? How do you know if your physical situation right now, your back pain, your broken marriage, your separation from your children, your job loss, how do you know if behind the scenes Jesus is not making the greatest victory of your life? How do you know? You don't know that. You never know what Jesus is doing. We cannot look with just our physical eyes. We have to walk in the victory of Jesus. I mean, he spiked the football, folks, at the cross. And not just that, I want you to flip to Matthew chapter 28 to the left in your Bible. Because after the resurrection, Jesus had told his disciples, even before he died, I will be raised from the dead and then I want you to go and meet me in Galilee, which is five days walk from where Jesus died. So it took some time to get there. But after the resurrection, they remembered that he said that, so they obey him, and they travel the five miles from Jerusalem, or the five days walk from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he does. He physically appears to them on one of the mountains there. And I want you to listen to what he says. The first thing he communicates to his gathered followers just days after his resurrection, after meeting with them and all those things, listen to what he says here. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And I encourage you to memorize Scripture a lot. Let me give you one that you really need to salt away. 
Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Not some authority. All authority has been given to me. Then he tells them to go and serve him. Remember, this is the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Meaning, in light of the fact that all authority has been given to me, go and do what I'm commanding you to do, which is go make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've said and to baptize them in my name. And I want you to understand what that meant. Those men and women right there who heard that command, go make disciples, and who heard Jesus say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, they went and they were opposed by Jews and they were opposed by their countrymen. They were opposed by nations that they had never heard of before. They were opposed by Rome, the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. But they kept pressing and they kept praying and they kept obeying. And with 300 years, within 300 years of this day, within 300 years, they were the most dominant nation on the face of the planet. They had controlled the Roman Empire. 14 to in control. 20 some in that day to in control of the entire world. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus through people can do that. How can that happen? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. What is authority? Authority is the right to rule. It's the right to rule. When we elected our president, the people of the United States gave him the right to rule within the executive branch, the things that are under his authority, the executive branch. When we elected uh, people to the House and to the Senate, we gave them authority to rule within our state and also within our nation, within the confines of the legislature. When President Trump appointed three people to the Supreme Court during his tenure, he gave them authority to rule within the judiciary system of the United States on the Supreme Court, to have authority over court cases at every level. They were given authority within those spaces. They were given the right to rule. When we elect our mayor and our city councilor and our city county councilman and all those people, we're endowing them with the right to rule us here in Florence to make laws and to enforce them on our behalf for what we believe is for our safety and our prosperity. Authority is the right to rule. And who has the ultimate authority over all things? Who has the right to rule all things right now as we speak? Who's that? That's Jesus. And as we are followers of Jesus, his children, saved by his blood, appointed to be his heralds and his ambassadors in this world, he delegates that authority to you and me. And so he says, Nate, I want you to go into that hospital tomorrow and I want you to spiritually exercise your authority in that place to bring the kingdom of God into that hospital. And he says to to Melissa Brock, in your home, I want you to take my authority and I want you to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the household of the Brock family. And when you go to McLeod to walk into a class or a, a room tomorrow and use that authority to bring the kingdom of God to bear in McLeod. Some of you just got out of school. Some of you got two weeks left, I found out. I didn't know that. I thought y'all were all done. But 
If you got two weeks left tomorrow when you go to school, you're called to take the authority of Jesus and bring it to bear in West Florence and in Wilson and Emmanuel and all those places so that the kingdom of God can flourish there. You're to take Jesus's authority and you're called to stand in it and to own it in those places. And to bring to bear, get this, the victory of Jesus into the defeat of this world. We get to bring it forward day in and day out because of what Jesus has accomplished. You cannot talk about the victory of Jesus too much. You cannot do it. If what's going on in heaven for eternity is people falling down and worshiping the victory of Jesus forever, we can't take too much time to talk about it, right? So let's just make sure we have a few things down. The victory of Christ makes every victory possible. It is the victory of Christ over death and sin and Satan that makes every victory possible. Your victories are not possible because you're awesome. They're not possible because you're educated or because you're talented or good-looking or because you came from the right home or you've got money in your bank account. That's not what enables your victories in life. What enables your victories in life as a follower of Jesus Christ is Jesus' ultimate victory over all things. Without his victory, it would be only defeat. It would be only defeat. So I want to make sure we understand we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. The victory over all things has been won. We're fighting from victory. What do you mean by that? Well, coming up on Memorial Day. So if you've looked at World War II, here's my understanding. I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a scholar, but here's my understanding. When you look at the events of World War II, as tragic as it was, as many years and as many lives as were lost in different countries, there were a couple real turning points. And two of the last turning points in World War II were two different battles. You had the invasion of Normandy in which the Allied forces attacked the shores of France and pushed back the Germans at much cost. One of the victories that we don't talk about too much, one of the turning points is over in the Eastern Theater, which was right on the shores of the Black Sea where Volvostad or Stalingrad was defended by the Russians. And all of the Russian reserves of oil were right there at the Black Sea. And the Germans had marched all the way from Germany, all the way to the Eastern Front, all the way to the Black Sea. And the, the Russians would fight them and then retreat and fight and retreat and fight and retreat until they got to Volvostad, until they got to Stalingrad. Because they knew that if Hitler gets this oil, this is what we know from history now. We know he already had the planes, the vehicles, the tanks, everything built. The only thing he needed to run roughshod over the rest of Europe. And, by the way, come over to our country and take this country over. He already had the bombers built. He already had the planes ready to go. You know the only thing he needed? He needed fuel. He needed oil. And if the Russians had not won that battle and turned him back that day, he would have had all the fuel he needed to fuel all of his machines and this would be a whole different story this morning. This would be a whole different story this morning. But do you know, the fighting did not stop after the battle of Stalingrad. It did not stop after D-Day. The battle continued. The battles were waging on for some weeks and some months after that. But here's what we know from history. The Germans knew it was over. And we knew it was over. And we knew it was just a matter of time. 
Now, for those battles that continued to go between D-Day and between the cessation of hostilities, if you're on the side that knows you're winning, don't you fight with a whole nother pep and passion and pizzazz? Don't you fight with a whole nother level of power? And if you know you're on the losing side, aren't you that much more disheartened in every battle? Aren't you that much more disheartened? I want to say something to you. The victory of Jesus was secured a long time ago. What you and I are facing day in and day out in our battles, in our homes, in our workplace, in our communities, the battles that we are facing are just cleaning up Jesus' victory. It's just cleaning up Jesus' victory until Jesus shows up one day, which he will. He will step his foot on this earth again. And when he does, he's going to call time out for all of eternity. And every physical power that we see now, the premier of China, the premier of Russia, all these physical powers are going to bow their knee to Jesus because time is going to be over. It's going to be over. But what hurts my heart is I feel like in the church and even in my own life and in many of our lives, we are losing the cleanup battles again and again and again because we don't understand Jesus' victory and we're not fighting from it. We're just letting the enemy have his way. And believe me, he's going down with the ship, so he's going to kick and punch and scream and bite all he can do before it's over. And he's going to try to take as many with him as he can. It's still a heated battle. But we can have victory. We can have victory. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 because I want you to understand how what Jesus' victory at the cross did for you and me. It's not about us. It's always been about the Father, but I want you to understand the effect it has on you and me. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a familiar verse, passage for many of us. I know a number of you that pray this as a prayer over your family and over your church and over your friends every single day. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's first. Paul wanted these young believers to know God the Father better, more intimately. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, meaning the victory of Christ, the salvation that has been given to you, and that you could know the riches of his glorious inheritance with God's holy people, meaning what God has promised to you in salvation, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I think that most of us don't live in a way that we actually believe there's incomparably great power available to us. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above, get this, all rule and power and authority and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but in the one to come, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want you to look at the end of verse 22 because this is really important for us. God did all these things he's just described for this reason. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything. Why? Why? For the church. Who's the church? We are. It was for God's glory, but it has benefits for us. God put everything under the feet of Jesus. He took all authority and placed it under Jesus. Why? For us. Why? So the church could expand itself on the earth and advance the kingdom of God. He snatched authority from everything that would oppose God so that the kingdom could be advanced through you and me. So did you see what happened? Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And when he is in that spiritual realm, which we can't see except by our spirit, in that spiritual realm, Jesus ascends into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God at God's throne. The right hand, you know this, the right hand is that place of authority and power, the highest place next to the king. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when he was seated there, God took all these rulers and authorities and powers in the spiritual realm and he placed all of them under the feet of Jesus, picturing complete and total subservience. You with me? But That's not the best part. Get this. Flip one page to the right, chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So not only did God the Father raise Jesus from the dead, ascend him into heaven, and seat him at his right hand in his throne, guess who else? He spiritually resurrected. Every single one of us who has confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior have been spiritually resurrected with Jesus, and we are seated on the throne at Jesus' right hand. And where is all that power and authority? It is under the feet of Jesus. You're seated with Jesus on his throne. Now, in my physical eyes, again, I don't see Jim Johnson seated at Jesus' right hand, but I'm looking in my physical eyes. He's seated right there on the front row of Trinity Presbyterian Church on the corner of 1021 Ebenezer Road. But in the spiritual realm, Jim Johnson's not in this room. Where is Jim seated spiritually? The right hand of Jesus. Jim, I bet there are days you feel like you're seated at the right hand of Jesus, aren't there? And I bet there are days you don't feel like you're seated at the right hand of Jesus. Who cares what you feel like, Jim? <laughs> I can tell Jim that because I love Jim. It doesn't matter what we feel like. It matters what is true. If we don't know what's true, we won't live it out. And if we don't live it out, we won't act on it. And we will face defeat again and again and again. So as we start to learn to fight from victory, let me just lay a foundation with just four things that I want to make sure we get. You've got to get this before we leave this room. Number one, your salvation establishes your position. You are seated with Jesus on the throne in the heavenly realms above every power and authority. But your mind, your intelligence, your abilities did not establish your position. What established your position? 
the salvation of Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerating your dead, sinful soul, giving you faith to believe. And when you place that faith in Jesus, your salvation establishes your position. And by the way, if your salvation, which isn't your salvation anyway, it's Jesus' salvation given to you, if your salvation established your position, then you can't lose your position because you can't affect your salvation either. If your salvation affects your position, then you can't lose your position. Second thing is this, your position entitles you to authority. It entitles you to authority. Again, not because you're awesome, but because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. He seated you right there with him, and he's passed that authority down to you in every area he places you so that you can rule those things for the kingdom of God. Whether it's your family, your husband and wife and your relationship, your children, your math class, whatever else it is, he has given you authority to rule for him and the kingdom of God in those places. Your position entitles you to authority. You're seated on the throne. You're not God. You're not the Messiah, but you're seated with them. They're the big deal. You just get all the benefits. You just get all the benefits. Third thing is this. Your authority is accessed by your faith. You know, just because you have authority doesn't mean you access your authority. You ever seen any of these fairy tales where uh, a king and a queen will have a child, but something happens and the child is taken from them? And the child ends up raised in some pauper's house in some village and they have no idea that they're really a prince or they're really a princess. And then something happens some 20 years later when they're a young adult and they discover they're actually a long lost prince or princess. And then someone has to convince them you're part of royalty. You have to convince them that you live a certain way. You actually belong in a palace. You've heard those, those stories, something similar to that. Listen, if we don't understand the authority we've been given, we don't own it, we'll never operate in it. We'll keep living like a pauper in a village when we are a prince and a daughter, a princess of God. If we don't understand, then we'll never walk in it. Listen, faith is what activates our authority. And here's how that works. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You can look this up. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says faith is two things. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That's why faith activates your authority. If you, don't, you aren't sure of what we hope for, if you don't understand your authority, are you ever going to walk in it? No, we, we don't understand it. That's why I'm trying to, I, I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the defeat we're seeing in our life is we just don't understand our authority. Benefit of the doubt. But we can understand our authority and never act on it in faith, never act on it in trust. We grow apathetic, don't we? We ignore the gifts God's given us. We sit on the sidelines. We let sin cripple us, whatever else it is. But if we don't understand by faith the authority we have, we will never activate it in the world. Faith does that. You know, it's funny. Your walk with Jesus starts with faith, but every part of it continues with faith too. It's the key to everything. Faith is the key to everything in the kingdom of God. And last but not least, your faithfulness and your faithfulness determine your victory. I'm going to say that again. Your faithfulness and your faithfulness 
determine your victory. Let me unpack that for you. It is absolutely true that the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ on the cross secured for all of eternity our victory over sin, death, and the devil. But we're fighting battles day in and day out. And every battle that we enter into in the resources of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, in an obedience to Jesus, you will win. Find me one battle in Scripture that the people of God did not win when they obeyed God, went in God's resources, and according to God's will. You'll find plenty they lost. You'll find plenty they lost. But you'll always find a lack of one of those things. Obedience, not going in God's power, going in their own strength and not God's strength, and not going according to his will. You'll see defeat there. But if you're going in his resources, his will, and in his authority, you can't lose the battle. You can't lose the battle. So what determines your victory? Two things. Your faithfulness. Are you a man or woman of God that is full of faith? You're walking in your faith day in and day out, trusting in the Lord, trusting in things you don't see, learning, growing, walking in your faith. Are you full of faith? And the second thing is, are you faithful? Meaning, are you obedient? Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. This is the long haul. The Christian walk, the call to be a disciple is the long haul. We get up in the morning and we serve God faithfully today and we try to do our best. When we mess up, we ask forgiveness, we repent and we go to bed that night and wake up the next morning and we repeat again and again. We can't take weeks off. We can't take summer break off. We can't take Easter holiday off. We can't take spring break, whatever else it is. We have to be faithful to Jesus day in and day out. And when we are not faithful, I want to say something to you. Your victory is not secure. Your ultimate victory is always secure because your salvation can't be touched. I'm talking about your day in, day out walk with Jesus here. Some of us are just looking forward to heaven because we see so many defeats here. I want to say something to you. We can know victory here just like we can know victory there. And here, day in and day out, if we're not faithful and we don't walk in our faith, you'll see defeat again and again and again. But if we are faithful, and if we are full of faith, victory after victory after victory will come. And it won't make us prideful because we'll know it's not about us. All the glory will go back to Jesus. People will be pointed to Jesus. People will be motivated to worship Jesus. And when it's all said and done, the best part is people will forget you. They'll forget you. And they'll look at Jesus. Isn't that the goal? I mean, that is the goal for people to be so enamored with the victory they forgot who fought the battle and they give all the glory to Jesus. That's the goal. So today, I don't know what area of your life that you've been experiencing defeat. It may be pornography again and again and again. You've tried everything you can to be free from that. And if if you're stuck in that, you need help. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You need help, you need accountability, you need other men of God that can speak into your life. It may be your marriage. It's failing again and again, no matter what you try. You read the books, you try counseling, you're doing those things. It's your relationship with your kids, whatever else it is, whatever area you're experiencing defeat, you can begin to walk in victory today if you understand your authority, which means I'm a man of God. I can go into my home and I can say, listen, I forbid the enemy from attacking my children today. 
I forbid the enemy from coming against my wife today as she goes to serve. I, I forbid the enemy from attacking this worship service this morning. I, I, we walked around as elders, and we prayed things like this this morning before you got here. Because we have authority. We're elders. We, we pray. We do those things. But if we don't stand in those things, we'll see defeat again and again and again. So this morning, as our praise team comes, I want to give you the opportunity to have uh, just this time where you have the Holy Spirit search you. If you're feeling defeated in some area, what's going on there? Maybe you need to come to the altar and let the Lord just reveal that to you. Maybe you need to go to one of these spiritual authorities and have them pray over you and ask the Lord to, to give you a fullness of His Spirit so you can begin to walk in victory in whatever those things are. And listen, your circumstances may not change, but your victory can change. Just like we talked about. Physically, what was happening to Jesus was the worst thing ever. But spiritually, it was the best thing in history. Same is true for you. So let's stand. Let's respond to the Lord any way He leads this morning.